Today, I am thrilled to announce that An Actor Despairs is partnering with a wonderful CBD company called Kind Farms. Everyone out there has heard of CBD. I started taking it a few years ago when I first started getting sober and to help with my anxiety. Sadly, as one can do, I was overtraining in the gym, and a friend recommended a topical and a tincture to help with the pain. I tried it. It was okay. However, recently, I was introduced to a product that has really changed my life. Not only has it helped me with anxiety, but I am stronger than I have ever been. I'm able to carry out lifts my body used to prevent me from doing. Kind Farm products have single-handedly changed my life athletically and personally. They utilize 100% local licensed farmers, organic cultivation, and CO2 extraction for superior CBD. Kind Farms is turning CBD to a kind alternative to pharmaceuticals. Let's transform tobacco row into hemp row. If you want to get involved, please reach out. Together, we can make a difference. You can use my code RYAN10 for 10% off. You can find them on Instagram at Kind Farms Inc. All one word. That's K I N D P H A R M S I N C. And their website is kindfarmsinc.com. Once again, my code for 10% off is Ryan10. And now, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to An Actor Despairs. I'm your host, Ryan Perez. Today's guest is legendary acting teacher, coach, professor, Terry Knickerbocker. Terry Knickerbocker runs Terry Knickerbocker Studio, but prior to that, he worked with Bill Esper at William Esper. He is such an iconic New York presence. You've definitely heard of him before. He's Sam Rockwell's coach. He's Emmy Rossum's coach. He is one of the most legendary teachers of all time, and I'm so excited to have him here. Here's our conversation. Terry Knickerbocker, welcome to Actor Despairs. Thank you so much. And we have special guest co-host, Allison Spence-Brown. Hi. How you doing, Allison? I'm good. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. So, Terry, we're so excited to have you on the show today. I've known about you for such a long time, and I just literally said to you that I've been meaning to take a class, and you rightfully said, where the f*** you been? And... I'm so excited to get to talk to you, and I have so many questions, and and I'm so interested in your work and your process, but before we dig into the work, I'd like to start at the beginning. So you grew up in the Northeast, right? I did. Um, I'm a a Brooklyn boy, grew up uh, on Willow Street, uh, first to Grace Court, and then Willow Street in Brooklyn Heights, which is a very pricey neighborhood now, but it wasn't back then, right under the Brooklyn Bridge, and then moved to Boston when I was seven, grew up in Boston. Went to some boarding schools uh, in Western Massachusetts, and also in Providence, Rhode Island. Okay, and then came to NYU. Wow, took and a couple of gap years. What What did your parents do? My parents were both attorneys. My wow. father was a Republican guy, and he was a tax attorney for an insurance company, John okay. Hancock. And my mom was a Democratic labor lawyer, so she used to carry me on picket lines. Wow. And we'd have interesting discussions. Ideological opposition. Yes, yes, yes. That's yes. amazing. And I would always ask my dad who he voted for in like presidential elections, and he would never tell me. He'd say, I voted for one. 
That's so funny. You know. Because oddly, I texted Allison on the way here. I said, who did Terry vote for in the 2000 presidential election? <laughs> you did not. <laughs> you can check her text. He sent me a lot of questions. I, uh, he capped it off with that one. <laughs> that's so weird. <laughs> um, but that's so amazing. So I'm curious, how, how did the arts thing happen for you yeah. then? Well, my parents were so good. They, um, you know, my dad loved music and he loved theater and he loved operetta in particular, Gilbert and Sullivan. Well. And the ballet. So we went to see the Nutcracker every year. That yeah. was a family tradition that even went to like his grandchildren. And we went to plays. We, you know, we came in, we came into New York City and went to Broadway and then we went to Boston. We went to the equivalent of Broadway there. Because yeah, a lot of things test there before they yeah. come here, right? They don't anymore, but that was the process back then. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And then we'd have like subscriptions to, to stuff and he took me to concerts. So I was exposed early on. And that was great. What, what about the cinema? Was that an integral part of your childhood at all? Or? I love movies, but uh, it was it was not something that the family was really a big part of. I mean, I just go. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm having a memory. <clears throat> I saw Mary Poppins uh, whenever it came out. I think maybe 1966 or 68 or something like that. And it was playing in a part of Boston that was not a very nice part of Boston. Wow. And, uh, but everyone had to see Mary Poppins, uh, with Dick Van Dyke and, um, Julie, Julie Andrews, and it was incredible animation. So my mom left me on a Sunday online with the money to buy it. I, maybe I was eight or nine. Yeah. And, um, it sold out and my mom was gone. And so I'm like in this bad part of Boston, it sold out. And then these three, like 12 year olds in hoodies, came up to me and two of them like pinned my arms back no way and the other one took out of the pocket of his hoodie a tinfoil wrapped half of an apple pie and they mugged me with apple pie <laughs> no way yeah, yeah. So they, they they unwrapped the foil and kind of smushed it in my face oh my god and, like that was what they were doing they were looking for some and i was dressed up because we'd gone to church that morning uh, no. and uh, so i had my like red blazer on and my shirt and and i'm crying and then this like really swanky kind of uh Las Vegas couple comes up older, like in their 50s. The guy had like white patent leather shoes. There was a bar there. They were going to go have like Sunday drinks. They said, what happened, little boy? I said, you know, apple pie. Yeah. Mary Poppins said, come on in. We'll, we'll get you a ginger ale. And we'll call your mother. And uh, so we went in and we called my mother. My mother is a very anxious lady. And she's like, who are you with? Who are these people? Let me speak to them. Listen, I'll have you know that my son's mother is an attorney. And- <laughs> And if you do anything to him, right, like stranger danger. Oh, my God. So I will be down there quicker than you can. And she got down there. And then my mother went up to meanwhile the lines forming for the next show. I want to go see Mary Poppins. You know, I'm cleaned up. Love that Las Vegas couple and this bar. It was a great old dive bar. Yeah. And so my mother goes to the manager of. of the theater and says my son got mugged and he got sold out and can you know and so they let me in on like the handicapped line which wow. was completely embarrassing because all these kids are going how come he's getting in? He's not in. <laughs> <clears throat> so i think that's my earliest movie memory that plus uh wizard of oz which was on every year on wow. like cbs and i'd have to turn it off for the monkeys because that scared me a lot. oh yeah the witch yeah. scared yeah. the yeah. hell out of me yeah. oh god yeah, yeah. Movies came later. That's amazing. Yeah. And then did you kind of dabble in 
theater one? A little bit. You yeah. know, my early, my, my dad used to carry a picture of me like at four years old with like a robe on and a beard. Yeah. Like, I don't know where that came from, but yeah. maybe some church play or something like that. I keep saying church. We have to understand that my mom is Jewish. So... Uh, it was a very confusing religious life in of our course. family. We just celebrated everything. Um, but the Jews didn't have as many plays as the Christians did. So uh, we did that kind of stuff. And I remember, uh, and so I went to an Episcopal school. Ep- Episcopalianism is sort of a, a cleaner version of Catholicism. Okay. You know, same incense and stuff like that, but less guilt. Guilt, yeah. <laughs> and um, so I was in the choir and we'd go to church every week. And I loved the ceremony of it. Yeah. So in my bedroom, I used to hold mass. I was, I, I did, you know, I mean, I would wow. just like put a towel around me and, you know, you have the cup and the, and, and the, the wafers. Bread, and, yeah. Yeah. So I was like using Ritz crackers and like a water glass and <laughs> wow. I had my prayer book and like, I just love the ritual of it. Totally. And to me, that feels like my earliest acting stuff. Yeah. Sacred. And, and of course it is sacred yeah. and it's a ritual. And I did that like every day. Wow. I would hold mass every day in my bedroom. Um, I don't want to go to your class. I want to go to your mass. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. And yeah. then um, did a play in like eighth grade. I remember my mom helping me to learn lines uh, and then took some time off and then did West Side Story in my senior year of high school. Oh, so you're a singer. Yeah. I love yeah. singing because we did the choir stuff and I, I love singing. And um, huh. all these memories, Ryan, um, <laughs> I wanted, I was auditioning for the part of action yeah in west side story he's the guy who goes boy boy crazy boy okay get cool boy and um it was between me and this other guy and mrs gunyan who was the drama lady said i'm going to decide who's going to get the part based on the following you're both going to walk across the stage and whoever's walk feels more like the part you got it and the other guy got it right what the f- so <laughs> I didn't got, use that mug, yeah, PTSD. Man. No, man. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, and he's not acting anymore. He's not in the theater. Yeah, right? yeah. So the part I got, ironically enough, is a part called Big Deal. Wow. Right. And he gets one verse in the Officer Krupke song, and he's just like part of the Jets. He's, yeah. You know, he's a Jet guy. And that, and then the hook was in, and then I didn't want to go to college. Interesting. So, and uh, obviously, having attorney parents, they were probably not. They did not like that. Yeah. No. Um, but I was sort of a classical, classic underachiever. And so I just started doing. Oh, I went to BU. My dad taught at BU. Okay. So you could get a free ride. He, not a free ride, but a free in. Okay. Right. Yeah. So he just, like, like, in May or June, he said, just fill out this paperwork and you'll get in. Yeah. I don't think it was, you know, illicit, but yeah, I got not in. Not Felicity Huffman. <laughs> and I was, no, 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 no. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was going to be a French major. Yeah. Because I really loved French and I, and I loved the language. And I bought all my books and I think I literally went to like one class. Wow. And then uh, I saw an audition notice for... A thing called the Boston University Savoyards, which was a Gilbert and Sullivan society that that year was doing a very obscure French operetta by a guy named Jacques Offenbach called the Grand Duchess of Gerolstein. And I auditioned and got it and I became like I was part of the chorus. I was a soldier. And like, this was part of BU or not? Part no? of BU. Oh, it was wow. like a club. Oh, okay. It was like a, a, a drama like club. Like a or, music club. Like a something? music club. Like what was the thing you did at like, NYU? Oh, like Danger Box? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like just uh, 
student theater, but anyone could be in it. Wow. Like you didn't have to go to BU. No way. And there were all these people who didn't go to BU who were part of it. That's awesome. They were just right? really geeked out about geeked Gilbert out about and Gilbert and Sullivan, which is huge in Boston. Yeah. Huge. I mean, I'm still part of a Facebook group called the Boston <laughs> University Savoy Arts, and we used to have reunions Amazing. like 20 years later. And I ultimately became the president of the Boston University Savoy Arts while not going to class. Amazing. But while still enrolled. <laughs> and of course, we didn't have the internet back then. So I, would, I was living in a dorm. My parents were paying for it. I think it was like $5,000 a year, yeah. which was a lot back then. But, you know, yeah. anyway, it's like 70 grand now. <laughs> it's insane. And, um, and, and doing all these shows and then running home to my parents' house to intercept the mail whenever grades would be coming out. Smart So man. they wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. But eventually they caught up and sort of said, you got to go. And then I stayed in Boston. And the two places that Gilbert and Sullivan Geeks worked were at Harvard and at BU. Okay. And whichever shows were going on, we just auditioned and I got a lot of parts. Wow. And then I, and then I did a straight play, um, an Ionesco play called Macbeth. Okay. Which is his version of the Scottish play. And that was amazing. And I went, I think I need to get training because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like I was getting all these parts. I mean, everyone starts acting and they don't have training. Totally. Like ballet dancers have to train before yeah. they perform. Yeah. Violinists have to train before they perform. But actors, because we, we're human beings and yeah. we watch people and we understand something about stories yeah. that we can just start acting, but then you need a craft. Yeah. And so... Like three years out of high school, maybe four, I auditioned for NYU, came down here on the train. It was the only place I auditioned. I got in. Wow. And then that was it. So you transferred? I Well, I, I wasn't at BU. I got kicked out of oh, BU. Oh, no way. Kicked out <laughs> with all incompletes or flunks. Yeah. Was doing all this theater and like working at a record store wow. for money. <laughs> and because um, we had vinyl back then. And I love music. So that was great. Was, was Louis there then? Louis Sheeter. Louis Sheeter was not there then. No, it was run by a guy named Yanis Simonides, wow. who's a graduate of Yale. It was very different. I went to a studio that doesn't exist anymore. It's still a school, but Circle in the Square. Oh yeah, that Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, and I studied with Terry Hayden, who just died a couple of years ago in her nineties. Um, who was part of? Uh, she worked with Lee Strasberg. Yeah, um, that's where I went. So, like, I, Lee was alive. Yeah. So she took us to the actor's studio, and I watched a, a session with that Lee was moderating. Wow. That's crazy. So she gave us method training, and then I had a guy named Tom Brennan, who taught scene study, and Nico Sakharopoulos, who founded Williamstown, was the rock star teacher of Circle in the Square, and he taught at Yale. Wow. And then he'd come down once a week, and we were actually taking classes in the downtown Circle in the Square space. For those, for Nikos's class. And once a week, we'd have like a four hour scene study class with him. Wow. Our first week, we were doing like streetcar. I mean, he specialized in, in Tennessee Williams and Chekhov. Those are the, and maybe a little O'Neill. Okay. And he was brilliant, but kind of mean, right? He was kind of a mean teacher. And like, sounds I, like I, NYU. <laughs> he, he, I mean, but especially mean. I, I, I'll never forget, he wow. once told a woman, this is verbatim. This is my bad Greek accent, but he said that, darling, why don't you try something more suitable for your talents, like maybe accounting? Ooh. Right? You can't say that to a freshman acting person, yeah. right? I mean, that just, it, it goes through my heart now, and I think I carry that experience 
in terms of what maybe ultimately become a teacher. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's kind of like when you're a parent, because I'm also a parent, I have a six-year-old, um, you kind of want to make sure you do better yeah. than your parents. And my parents did a great job, but you want to even do better. And as a teacher, I wanted to make sure I never damaged anyone. And I don't know if this person was damaged, but it hurt me Yeah, what he said. He never said anything mean to me. And then after the first semester, Nikos would make a cut. So there were two sections. Wow. Like this is when do. they were doing cuts still at NYU. Well, they, they, they do a cut of who Nikos wants, uh, not out of NYU, but, but just th- for his for his niche little wow. group. And he tended to take really pretty people, really attractive people. And, and uh, I guess I wasn't as attractive as I should have been or something. So I got cut, which hurt at the time because, you know, all the in people were with yeah. Nikos. And then I felt like a loser. But... Actually, I ended up with this amazing teacher, Jacqueline Brooks, who happened to be Terry Hayden's lover, but also was a wonderful working actress who did a lot of theater and film. And um, uh, she just gave me such permission. She was your artistic mother. So oh, my speak. God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I said, I want to do streetcar. She said, yeah, do streetcar. Wow. And like help. I know I did Stanley. I mean, that was I didn't think that was me. Wow. And she helped me to find that and uh, so a she, lot of other stuff. She yeah. brought your voice out in you. She did. Yeah. The problem was at NYU, and we were also, <laughs> we were taking classes at this place called the Martinique Hotel near Macy's, which is now a fancy place. But back then we were in the basement and there were some other, there, there was a couple cats in the basement and they yeah. were there for a reason. <laughs> um, and I remember that a lot of kids were auditioning. Because, you know, backstage was there and like they'd go to class, but they'd like miss class or they'd not work in class because they were dressed for an audition because Woody Allen was doing a movie or something else was going on. And that really disturbed me that people were focusing on the business while they were in training. And the Experimental Theater Wing was also happening at NYU. And I, the founder of the Experimental Theater Wing was one of the founders, was a guy named Ron Arkelander, who was a real rock and roll um, kind of theater studies professor yeah. who taught a class I took. And NYU was so different back then. Yeah. It was just, it was, first of all, it was a third of the size it is now. I can imagine. It was a safety school. Like it was not a world-class university. Yeah. It's where you uh, applied if you couldn't get into like Princeton or something like that. Wow. Okay. Um, and he taught a class called Contemporary uh, Experimental Theater, which was all about like Robert Wilson and Richard Schechner and okay. like all these ex- Mabu Mines. And my mind was blown. And I said, and he said, well, you got the Experimental Theater. Why don't you come? So I auditioned for that and transferred from Circle in the Square after two years and did my final two years at DTW. But it, it, we didn't have like, le- there wasn't like primary Levels. level. Yeah. You just had a group. Wow. And each group stayed with a group, and then teachers would come to us. So that's where I met Kevin Kulke. Mm-hmm. Um, he came into our class, who later became chair of drama, wow. head of ETW. Um, he auditioned me for NYU. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we met 40 years ago. This was I graduated in 1981. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I had an amazing Israeli uh, acting teacher named Rini Yerushalmi, who came out of Carnegie Mellon. Okay. And we would do Feldenkrais every morning, which I'd never heard of, but it was this amazing movement stuff because uh, she knew Feldenkrais. He was an Israeli guy who was, we're not even talking about acting really, but this is just so cool. I yeah, think. no, he, I love he it. He was um, 
like judo champion of Israel, and he was also like a molecular biologist. I'm getting this wrong, but wow. he had these like two amalgamation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then he had a terrible accident, and he was told he would never walk again. And through his understanding of judo and like neuroscience, he repatterned through people moving his body the way he told them to while lying on a bed to bring himself to walking again. Wow. And then he turned that into a movement philosophy and, and discipline called Feldenkrais after himself, where you do things called awareness through movement and you do like little things on the left side. Wow. And all of a sudden things really open up. Yeah. And then you think about it on the right side. Like you work on the left side for half an hour. Okay. And then you think about it, just go over it in your mind, you picture it, and then you go just as far on the right side in like a second. Wow. And then uh, he came to our class. Like Rena, like the year before he died, Rena had him come to our acting class and he watched us like do Shakespeare and stuff. And he said he saw some scene and someone picked up a coffee cup. And Rena said, what do you think of the, the acne? He said, well, what kind of coffee taking is this? You got to use your back when you lift a cup. You got to just pick it. So it's sort of like Alexander technique wow. in that way. Like, and that kind of works. So um, I got great training there. And I met Ann Bogart. Ann Bogart of the wow, CT company no was my acting teacher. Sort of, She taught a class called Composition where we just like make stuff up and do site-specific stuff and do th street theater. And wow. she'd say, okay, let's. Going to groups and... Um, so you really got into academia, meaning like acting, like you just thrived there. But experimental acting, like it was downtown acting. We never, we thought, we never thought we'd have to go above 14th Street. Wow. We it, were just going to change the world. Was, was the Wooster Group a thing? The yeah. Wooster Group wasn't the Wooster Group then. It was called the Performing Group. Wow. And uh, Richard Schechner was the head of it and Joan McIntosh's ex-wife was part of it. And they did a very controversial piece called Dionysus in 69 and some other stuff. And wow. Love the name. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Were you guys doing Grotowski work? Grotowski came. So Grotowski came. He was alive. Yeah. It wasn't so much part of the curriculum, but Richard Schechner, who also was part of the Performance Studies pro Project yeah. and at NYU, and also the editor of the Drama Review, yeah, which started out as Tulane Drama Review, TDR, and then he moved it to NYU like they bought it. Um brought Grotowski to America Got it. and he came a lot and Ron Argelander was really into Grotowski. So we weren't really doing it, but we were watching him. Mm -hmm. He would come and talk and it was like, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. He's just brilliant. And then his lead actor, Richard Chislak, who, if you watch these videos of, um, the Polish lab theater, which was the work Grotowski did before he left theater behind, he's the guy in like, a loincloth he's doing <laughs> yeah these incredible undulations wow. that are just extraordinary the plastiques and corporals he came and we did i did three workshops with him over spring break was the first one mm. so we did a workshop that would start like he was just sitting everyone smoked back then we all i mean yeah. they smoked in class like the life <laughs> it was it was woolly yeah, right? yeah so he's sitting in like studio three on the floor he had this like real smoky voice polish smoky voice so tell me what do you think you know and and i said well I, you know i just i love you and i love the work and i want to do this he said okay come you do and over spring break which coincided with a blackout in new york which was weird uh, because we'd work from like seven at night till six in the morning wow. we'd like flip things over and do all this work we went for like 10 days and it was mind-blowing and then he was at that time doing paratheatrics so it wasn't 
he was doing some of the theater stuff that you guys learned in Grotowski, but he'd moved on to like, how do we just do theater in the world? How do we take the audience out of it? And so then we did another workshop in the summer, uh, upstate, like at this Indian reservation. And then he said, can we do one in a van and we'll go across America? So a bunch of us went with him, uh, all the way to Arizona. Um, and ultimately we had a fight and like we split and I got out of the van in Arizona, four of us left and like stuck my thumb out and it was, it was a great time. NYU was great. Sounds amazing. It was an amazing time. And I'm curious to ask you after graduating, obviously now, you know, there's like third rail and punch drunk and sleep no more. Yeah. Then what did you think you could do with all of that experimental? Like what was, could, cause brought, did Broadway have experimental plays then? Mm, no, not really. I mean, Peter Brook was coming here, but that was less Broadway and more like PS 122 or BAM or, or something like that. Got it. Um, it was less commercial. It was just for the sake of it. For the love. Like we were doing stuff with Anne Bogart that would get written up in like, the highest level German theater magazines, but no one in New York paid attention to it they except didn't know for what the, to do with it. Yeah, yeah it was like, like the Village Voice would would review it. Wow. Um, and then I was working with Rena also, so I was doing this experimental stuff with Anne and, and Rena. Uh, and, At, continuing after graduation. Yeah, after graduation, wow. did like six projects with her. She had like a company. This was before um, Mr. Suzuki came over and the Suzuki work and the CT company. Yeah. Because um, she believed that theater was a journey. That was her idea of what what theater should be is it takes the audience on a journey. So she did like all this traveling theater. Yeah. Like she'd take it, she'd have a guide and an audience would be taken somewhere. Like they'd say, meet at this restaurant in the East Village. The guide would be there and then there'd be like actors sort of on the phone or you'd go to a house and you'd look in the basement and actors would be acting out a scene through the windows or in abandoned schoolhouse and wow. all this weird stuff. And then meanwhile, Rena formed a company that Kevin Kalki was in and uh, Wendy Vanden Heuvel was in uh, and Jessica Litwak, who was my first wife and uh, Stephen Grafenstein and a few other people. And we, we were at La Mama and wow. we did, we we're like a resident company at La Mama. So it was still on fourth street. It was on. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. I was wow. there. Yeah. And um, we did a couple of plays there and then she had the scene study class. And we go on Saturdays and we do scenes. And then, one, and so I did one scene from uh, Bertolt Brecht's Ball that went well. And then I had a scene from Morning Becomes Electra. She would choose the scenes. Yeah. It's the scene between the brother and the sister where like the father's bodies in the living room calls for, you know, Greek proportion emotion. And I didn't know what the fuck to do with that. Like my head knew, oh, I need to have all this yeah. stuff. But. For all the great training that I got at NYU, I had not been prepared to do any material. Like if you do scene study, which is what we started, Nico Sakharopoulos, freshman year, that teaches you how to do that scene. Yeah. But it doesn't teach you how to do a new play or a new TV show. Yeah, stylistically. I, I just didn't have a foundation. And around the time, Rena was uh, dating a guy named Joel Rooks. He was a wonderful actor and... and taught with Bill Esper and studied with Bill Esper. And I saw him in a play like five nights in a row, mm. worked backstage at La Mama. And it was brilliant. It was genius. Wow. It was the most perfect character work and the most consistent. He had emotion. He had character. He had behavior. I said, I want to do that. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, I studied, studied with Bill. So I went to talk to Bill. After four years at NYU, 
He said, yeah, it's a two-year program. Bill had worked with Sanford Meisner. Bill yeah. just died in January of this year. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. <clears throat> so what a, what a titan. Yeah. And um, he said, well, it's a two-year program. I said, great. You know, It was um, under Sanford? Or no, he, it was his own studio. Yeah, he, so Esper existed then. Esper existed. He, yeah. he started in 1965. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's 50-something years back. old. Yeah, how, I mean, how long did he live to? And he lived into his 80s. It is 80s. Um, but he was a young man when he did that, and he was, I think, maybe simultaneously teaching at the Playhouse, but moving away. Wow. Um, had been with Meisner for 17 years, yeah. and then started his own thing. He said two years, and I said, um, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think twice. There was no yearning for you to to go to L.A. or to do Broadway, I mean, no, or to do Woody Allen movies, or Woody Allen would have been cool. Yeah, I didn't know about him. His current uh, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll leave no comment on that. Um, I had a Woody Allen audition back then, which was a cattle call. It was also like the walk for West Side Story. You yeah. just walked by him holding your picture and resume, and if you liked your walk and your look, you got called in. Oh, you need to work on your walk. Yeah. <laughs> I got to work on my walk. Yeah. Where's that? Where's that Suzuki? You know? <laughs> so I decided to study with Bill. And so you the, went into training mindset. again right after graduation? About a year after. And and how were the parents? Were they receptive to this or were they I like, paid what for you? it. Wow. I mean What it, were your parents thinking about your path at this point too? They though? were supportive. I mean yeah. they paid for NYU, God bless them. Yeah. They, right? they they didn't think the experimental thing was like kinda nuts. They came and saw sh I don't know what <laughs> yeah. they thought. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They came and saw my shows. That's awesome. Yeah. So they were supportive. Okay. Yeah, they were. Yeah. And um, bless them. So I, I studied with Bill and um God, that was the best two years of my life. That was really? just. Were you in a show with Ann Bogart? Like when? Yeah, you, uh, yeah. I was in a show. Him? I was cast in a show when I talked to Bill. Yeah. And in the fall, so his class started in the fall. I talked to Bill in the summer, and Bill said, "Yeah, sure." A couple. I mean, first of all, I said, "So you know, I, I graduated from NYU. So where where should I be in your program?" He said. In the beginning, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know? and he said, because everyone starts at the beginning. It doesn't matter what, what experience you've had, because we don't know where the holes are. Yeah. So it's like starting at the bar as totally. a ballet or starting with a scale. There's no advanced Meisner. It's yeah. just you start and it's a process and it's two years. And I said, great. Oh, just about the schedule. Um, cause I had a day class. Uh, I, I was a, uh, a waiter at night. Um, I might have to miss one or two classes in the fall because I have some tech rehearsals. And he sort of looked at me and said, for what? I said, well, I'm doing this show with Ann Bogart and, you know, it's off, off Broadway, but I'm part of her group. And he said, it's not Broadway? I said, no. It's not Manhattan Theater Club or the Public Theater? N no, but it's so good, Bill. I said, I don't think you should do that. No way. And I said, I mean, I was just like, why not? And I was getting really mad yeah. and scared. I said, because we're going to teach you how to win races. And we're going to start with crawling. And it's all about process. And if you go from my class in the beginning of this very delicate process to rehearsal or performance, that's all about results. And a director's going to tell you, could you be loud here? Could you get angry here? And because you want the show to be a success and you want your team player, you're going to do something that's probably inorganic and you're going to disrupt everything I'm trying to do with you. Wow. I said, okay, I got to think about that. And I went home and I was just so torn and kind of pissed off, but of also really pulled to what I saw Joel do. And the next day 
I quit that show and signed up with Bill and I haven't looked back. It was the best thing I ever did, the best decision I've ever made in my life. Wow. And and when you graduated at that point where you knew you wanted to continue down the teaching path or did you? No, no, no. I was acting. I was doing some acting. I was auditioning. I was doing some shows. Um, wasn't thinking about movies. Movies weren't, yeah. I mean, I loved movies, especially uh, you know, those great 70s movies like The Godfather yeah. and uh, Kramer versus Golden Age Kramer. Of American yeah, Cinema. Just, yeah, yeah. Gene Hackman, yeah. French Connection, too. Like just a ama- deer hunter. Uh, love Pacino, love Dustin Hoffman, love Meryl Streep, love Diane Keaton, but wasn't thinking of myself like that. Yeah. And my wife at the time, as I said, was a woman named Jessica Litwak, who's a wonderful performer and a wonderful writer. And part of this Anne Bogart world, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, she'd written a one-woman show about Emma Goldman, the anarchist, which Anne had directed uh, in an earlier incarnation. And then she got it into a festival of women's voices through the Women's Project at American Place Theater, wow. where Wynne Handman, who still teaches, there's a wonderful documentary about his teaching that just uh, broke on it, Netflix. He's in his 90s. Um, so Jessica's play was, was accepted and Anne had a conflict. She was doing an opera in, uh, Santa Fe and we were together at that point. So she said, well, would you like to direct it? Anne, is it okay if Terry directs it? So I said, okay, sure. And then like, it did really well. And I love directing. I went, oh, this fits because all the time I was acting, I always wanted to control everything. Totally. Like I wanted to Their tell. My, I wanted to tell. And you yeah. Don't, that's a no no. You yeah. don't. You don't oh, tell. God. You don't tell <laughs> other actors. You don't. Yeah. Like, don't move your hand so yeah. much. Yeah. And, um, maybe you should change that shirt. And like yeah. I wanted to control everything. <laughs> yeah. So being a director, that was like a dream come true. Wow. Right. So then I applied for this fellowship with the Drama League, which is now this very famous direct early career directors thing, but. It had just started called the Director's Project, and I got accepted. Oh, my God. And that was like a nine-month fellowship where they paid for me to go to Washington and or go to some regional theater. The project was you went to some regional theater, some local theater, and then they gave you an equity production, and wow. they paid for it all. So I went to uh, Arena Stage, which is an amazing, an amazing theater down in Washington, D.C., theater in the square. Zelda Fishhandler uh, was the artistic director. She later ran the NYU grad program and assisted on a production of Measure for Measure, which was amazing. Wow. Then uh, did an assistantship at Ensemble Studio Theater when Kurt Dempster was still alive of a wonderful play directed by Jack Gelber, who's an amazing director. And then uh, adapted a Maria Irene Fornes musical to be a play. Like wow. turned the songs into monologues, the first act of it, um, and worked with her on that. And we did that. And um, that was it. It was directing. So then I was like, shit, how am I going to make money? Yeah. Because directors, stage directors, unless you're like Joe Montello and you've yeah. got like wicked, you know. Daniel Sullivan, you know. Want, well, it, it, so you have to have something running yeah, all the time. Totally. Um, or be that top, top tier. So it's very hard to make a living as a director. So the two ways that three ways that directors made money were you worked on soap operas, you uh, had a staff job at a theater, and you taught. So I tried the soap opera thing. I had a friend who was on Guiding Light, and I went and shadowed 
I mean, it was, I, I, I felt unclean yeah. after doing that. It was just, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. I couldn't do it. Um, so then I applied to, you know, does the public need anybody? Does Manhattan Theater Club need anybody? Circle, nobody needed anybody. Yeah. Maybe in Oklahoma. So that left teaching. So I was watching Bill teach anyway, every so often, just when I was around, I'd go and watch him teach. I could do that. And uh, I said, I want to teach. He said, I don't need any teachers. Um, I said, well, how would it be if I watched and you tell me uh, when to leave if you want me to go? And that started a 32-year path with him. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's an incredible journey. Yeah, it was great. Wow. That's where I met Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Sam was studying with Bill in the summer um, and was only going to do the summer. Sam's parents were actors, weren't Sam's, they? Both his parents were actors, yeah. yeah. Penny and uh, his father, Pete, um, were wonderful people. And uh, Sam and I started coaching on some stuff, and he was just going to do the summer and then you know go off. How he'd already, old was Sam at this point? He's like 23. Okay. And uh, he, yeah, exactly 23. And he, he'd already done Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. He, you know, he had a little, he'd done some stuff for HBO. He was just, he was starting. On the cusp. Cracking yeah. Down. Yeah. And, but uh, he loved the work. And Yul Vasquez was in that summer and wow. they became buddies, They're like best buddies. And so we'd coach together. And then Bill said, why don't you do the two year? And Sam said, you know, I got some TV commercials I have to do. And he said, just do it. And so he did it. And so did Yul. So did Kevin. Uh, Kalki. That I was a great, yeah, yeah. I, that's how I got teaching at NYU was that I taught for Bill that year a lot. Wow. And Kevin, I was teaching Kevin, which that. was that's... weird, yeah. And that began, whatever that is, 1991. So a 28-year relationship with Sam. We've I've worked on just about everything he's done. Wow. With him, yeah. And, and I'm curious, like, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of students what was it about Sam that resonated with mm. you and you resonated with him? What, what, what was so, you know, the synergy that created there? Because mm. I imagine you had so many different students. Not like, really. I mean, I was just beginning, wow. you know. I mean, I was trained. It was an old-fashioned apprentice system with Bill. You watched him for a long time, like yeah. maybe a couple years, and just sat in the back and took notes. He didn't get paid. So I had to figure out some way to make money during that so I could just be and watch him. Yeah. Because I had to watch a lot. And when you watch a master teach like that and teach the same stuff to many groups and how he custom tailors the work to each individual actor, yeah, that's extraordinary. Um, so I taught Sam's class and, and also watched his class. And he just had this incredible spark. I mean, he's so inventive so playful and so emotional i mean he's just got this depth of rage and hurt yeah. and just his his instrument is an extraordinary instrument um and so i was just so impressed and bill had a great class bill had so many good students yeah. like everyone was studying with him um, we spoke our my former guest Dean Winters was yeah, came yeah, through. Yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So but but Sam there was a spark and then we just we 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 enjoyed it. We enjoyed working together. Yeah. Wow. And were you coaching actors on like TV film auditions at this point or that didn't really Not exist? a lot. I mean it just sort of So Sam was your first. No, I'd done a little bit with some friends and stuff, but I wasn't I never I've never actually ever promoted my coaching. Wow. That's all word of mouth. Yeah. Um 
but okay. Sam became a regular. Yule became a regular. Some other folks. Yeah, Emmy Rossum. Emmy Rossum. Yeah, for like the last thirteen years. And uh, did she did she study with you? She did not. Wow, it was word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. She, her agent um, knew somebody else. She's not with that agent anymore, and. Uh, she had an audition. This was way before Shameless. Mystic River Days? After that. Got it. After that. And because um, she came up through singing. She's not. Yeah, she was an opera. She was, she was an opera. Yeah. yeah. And she was in the, the, the Metropolitan movie. Opera Chorus. And, wow. and it was really a trained singer. And we did not hit it off, Emmy and I. You know, um, she, <laughs> she, you know, she's a very headstrong. I can see that person who yeah. knows just what she wants. She's mature, way behind beyond her years, and uh, brought this audition to. It was it was a story about uh, John Wilkes Booth, the guy who uh, assassinated Abraham Lincoln, yeah. and she played the wife of somebody. And well, she didn't get the part, but we auditioned. But something about that, she, we we fought. I mean, like. I wouldn't say fought, but yeah. like every idea I had, she didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't like anything I had to say. And, uh, uh, but somehow it worked and we kept, uh, working together. And then she got the pilot for Shameless, which I coached her on and she got the part. Wow. And that was nine seasons. Yeah. And several movies and the hiatus that we did. And, uh, now we're working on this amazing project i mean i just hope it really all comes together the way i think it's going to about this woman angeline um who's this sort of like before the kardashians yeah. self-made person in la who's wow. famous just for being famous for uh, a she real figure the pink car. she's the pink car yeah. lady yeah yeah, yeah. I see that so car. there was a story about her in the hollywood reporter which emmy yeah read sort of an expose of who this mysterious because her name's not really angeline yeah but she would never tell you that she has a pink corvette she just had all these billboards all over la that she had paid for yeah just of her you know, she had um, uh, a boob job and like blonde was, hair. Was like nepotism money or? Um, she just, she's really good at getting people to pay for things. God, She trades yeah. things. She, you know, she, she, I don't know, she get her dentist to pay for it or yeah. whatever. I mean, she's a fascinating person. Wow. And this Hollywood Reporter article fascinated Emmy. And so she bought the rights. No way. And it's now going to be a six episode limited series that she's going to star in. Wow. She's the producer of. Um, they're like getting ready to start shooting wow. uh, in January. And she pitched that and all Netflix wanted it. Hulu wanted it. Amazon wanted it. And ultimately universal who, uh, also does Mr. Robot because yeah. her husband, Sam Esmail are the ones who bought it. So she's all in on that. Wow. She's, she's working on the voice. She's working on the walk. She's, She's she flies here just to work with me. On oh, it. she lives yeah. in L.A. She lives well. She she's bi coastal, but Got it. but yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I'm curious to ask you. I'll dig into your studio, but with someone like Sam, you know, I I'm such a big fan of Sam Rockwell, and you know, I tell thought, me why. <laughs> you know, I just always thought his acting coach was just so f good. No, but I, I I there was something I the way I don't you, think there's anyone like him. I don't. You, the only person that I would put like him who's a very close friend of mine is. Shea Wiggum. Do you know Shea? Love Shay. Yeah. Emmy Shea directed, did my podcast. Emmy directed Shay in that Modern Love thing for the New York Times. Yeah, with Julia Shea, Shea did Homecoming. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Julia was at his house. Yeah. That's right. Um, in the same way that Shay's like, I don't mean to sound rude, but they're 
they're not Leo in the sense of like that Romeo and Juliet looks, right. but they're not ugly in the sense of like, you know. It's like quirky leading man. Yeah, you yeah. know, total leading man. You identify for them yeah. and you root for them. And I, I remember, you know, God, what's the first Sam Rockwell experience I had? And maybe it was Matchstick Men or I can't. I can't Galaxy remember. Quest. The Galaxy Quest. That yeah. was it. Yeah. yeah, it was Galaxy Quest. So good. Yeah. <laughs> Or the Green Mile. The Green Mile, you of know. course, yeah. And I, I loved him. He was such a magnetic performer. And the, and I hear, I hear what you mean by the anger, and, and but the heart, hurt. right? Yeah, yeah. He's like got, got a broken some heart. Swag to yeah. him too. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? yeah. He's a badass. Like he dances it. a lot. He's and, a great and, dancer. But I'm so curious for someone like him. Like it, you know. I feel like now he's obviously in the mainstream, but it wasn't really until like three billboards i feel like in a way that the whole you know people in iowa were like yeah sam rockwell you know i feel like even five six years charlie's ago, angels yeah sam was incredibly strategic just talking about the business for a second because yeah. he's a consummate artist but he also has an amazing agent Rhonda price at gersh who's been with him he's the still whole with time. gersh yeah Wow, even Ron, after the Oscar. Rhonda's amazing. Yeah. His Oscar's at Rhonda's office right now. No way. Because, <laughs> because his, his, his house is getting renovated. Yeah. He's got a loft down in the East Village, and uh, he didn't want it to get dusty, so it's it's at Rhonda's office. But, Rhonda's taking care of it. Um, they together were very strategic of laddering up his opportunities. Like, he'd play a, a good part in an indie film, which would lead to... Like Charlie's Angels, where he's the bad guy. Yeah. And then he'd do a lead role in an indie film, and then that would lead to Iron Man 2, where he's wow. the bad right? And so that they, one kept, for... they kept bouncing back. One for me, one for you, yeah. one for me, one for you. One small where I get to be totally artistic, and one more studio film where... It's a smaller part. It's not a lead. It's yeah. not three billboards yet. And he would, he, him and McDonough kind of had a relationship, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he did, um, uh, he did Behanding right? in Spokane with, yeah. uh, Chris Walken on Broadway. He did, um, what's the other, the, Mc, the, the Chris Walken seven, movie, Seven Psychopaths. Seven Psychopaths. Yeah. Which yeah, he wrote Walker. the part for Sam. Wow. He wrote three billboards for Sam and for Francis. Um, and there's another project somewhere out there that they're going to do. Amazing. Yeah. And I'm curious, so now that you have a studio, can, can you talk about the decision to form that? Yeah. Um, well, I love teaching actors. Yeah. Uh, I like the coaching, but I don't think I'd be happy just coaching because you're always coaching for the project, right. not necessarily for the art of it. And there's some stupid projects out there that actors have to do to pay the rent yeah. and... Um, and so sometimes when you work on those sides or those scripts, the people I'm working with, obviously, we're trying to make the best work possible. But at the end of the day, it's that writing, that directing, that whatever. And sometimes that can be a little disappointing. It's not as pure yeah. as I would like. And, and nothing's pure. But but uh, so I, I love teaching because that's really just about the art. I yeah. mean, we do focus on, okay, now that you know how to act. How are you going to go out there and make it work? We have like a third year program with a wonderful set of teachers, Katie Flahive and Allison Brzezinski, which is all about like taking charge. Oh, I know of your Allison. Yeah, yeah, she's great. Oh, yeah. what an angel! Yeah. yeah, so she sort of teaches people about branding, but we don't think about that for the first two years. We yeah. just get in and like let's get your instrument opened up, and then let's really learn how to be craftspeople and artists. So I love doing that. Uh, it's the Meisner work. It's what I learned from yeah. Bill. Um, Bill was an amazing, an extraordinary teacher and an amazing mentor and, um, and also a great businessman. I mean, yeah. he really 
took a small studio and organically grew it into one of the most important studios in the world. And I could have stayed there. Yeah. That was a great place to work, a uh, wonderful place to work, and it's a wonderful place to train. Ultimately, um, this part of me that likes to control things, yeah. uh, you know, wanted to have some more influence on the yeah, curriculum, wanted to decide what color to paint the walls. Um, the logical next step. Just wanted to, I mean, that's a, that is a next step for yeah. when you have a mentor, eventually the you want to sort of spread your wings. And so... Um, much later than Bill did, I decided in 2015 to step away and start this thing in Brooklyn and, uh, knock on wood, uh, we're doing okay, you know? And I'm curious to ask you, you know, cause Allison and I, we went to NYU together and mm -hmm. I have a lot of things I could say about that training, but it wasn't my favorite. And I'm, I'm meaning the Strasburg training. Yeah. They I studied there for a summer. They, they dropped the studio while I was there. No. Yeah. It's still there though. They, they brought it, they took three years off and brought it back. Wow. They fired Strasburg while I was that. there and it was, it was just in a, it was in a really bad meaning place. On a Strasburg. When you say they fired Strasburg. Yeah. Right? They, yeah. they severed ties with the studio. Huh. I was allowed to stay if I wanted, but I was right. like, my, the only person that I was friends with who's honestly, obviously working now, Rachel Brosnahan, uh -huh, yeah. she stayed. I was mm. like, this place. I dropped at NYU and I went wow. on tour. I came back later and got serious about acting, but none of this has to do with me. I'm curious to ask you, speaking of talking about Kim Kardashian and things like that, I'm, I'm curious to ask you now, when you have students, you know, Shay Wiggum, Speak of the Devil, said on this podcast, you know, now we have so many people that want to win American Idol, but nobody wants to be like Janis Joplin or Bob Dylan 1,000%. playing subways. So how do you deal with these yeah. actors that come to you that have Instagram and they see all these people that can yeah, be famous? I, I'm not the right teacher for them. Wow. Um, the tagline for our studio is training the passionate actor committed to excellence. So that's our North Star is getting good, right? And I believe that excellence leads to success. Yeah. You can also get successful and never take an acting class. There are personalities out there who hire coaches who have 100,000 Instagram followers, yeah. and they will work. But when they're done working, meaning at the end of whenever they stop yeah. working, they will not have a body of work that they can be proud of, for the most part. Of course. Acting's very hard to learn on the job. There are a few people who do. Elizabeth Moss didn't really take too many acting classes, and... She took ballet, she took acting, but not really that much. And yeah. she's sort of a self-taught person, but that's very unusual. Yeah, Most really good actors need training. And that's why places like Juilliard and NYU and Yale still exist and are not doing badly. People still want to go to Yale and go to Juilliard. So I really believe in the conservatory approach. I taught at the Experimental Theater Wing while I was teaching at the Esper Studio and in my own studio until just this past uh, September. I, I left, I retired. So I think there are two kinds of actors. There are actors going with this Shea thing yeah. who want to be famous, and there are actors who want to be good. Yeah. And I want to work with the actors who want to be good. So if someone comes in, and I mean, like, I don't, I do the same thing with, that Bill said to me. I don't want you to audition. Yeah. And I lose a lot of students. Because they want to, like, work on their career and work on their training simultaneously. But that goes to that story of when I was at Circle in the Square and people were training and then not putting so much into their training because they yeah. wanted to audition. You've only got so much energy. Yeah. And what you can't do you, be one foot in, one foot yeah, out. Yeah. You know, and so, but they get scared. And agents are 
kind of making this bad because they'll say, you don't need to train. Come on. It's pilot season. Yeah. Get a coach. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. Like we didn't think twice when we studied with Bill. Two years was nothing. Yeah. Now they go, do you have like a weekend workshop where I could learn how to act? Would you say that to a violinist? <laughs> right? I mean, honest to God. I mean, it's it's horrifying. Yeah, it is horrifying. It's horrifying, yeah. right? Yeah. But that is the big hurdle that most of, we. you know, what we're doing is anti-glacial, yeah. right? Like the thing we're trying to do, this two-year training, most actors don't want to do that. Yeah. It's just too long. That's the biggest. I can't audition and it's too long. But if you want to be good, it goes by in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and you will come out a better act. It's an investment in your talent. That's what I was going to say. You always say, yeah. oh. like, invest in yourself yeah. and it will come back. And I also, like, you know, not to discredit the very institution that created all of us. I, I believe you're doing <laughs> I, I it. I'm not going to let NYU I, have the credit for well, creating I, me. I don't, I, I don't want to say God. <laughs> you it brought me to you, though. It, it brought me to you. Terry. But would you say that it created you? No. I God, mean, I no. met you at Esper, actually. Yes, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I love that you're doing that and you started on your own. And that because, you know, I spoke to Kathleen Turner about this. It's like... Would you recommend an actor go to an NYU Yale and encumber a quarter of a million dollars debt? Now, I I personally wouldn't, but to right. do a studio like yours, I I would say it's a, it's paramount that they yeah. do that, you yeah. know. And before we wrap up, this is a very loaded question, but I'm sure there's a lot of answers you'll give. Are you ever low energy, Ryan? By the way, <laughs> I just did a kilo of cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? No, I'm not actually, and. Um, I'm sure Allison has experienced this. I've seen a lot of actors who study, but that can be really bad auditioners. Yeah. What do you think makes for a great audition? Practice and and a mindset. You know, I mean, you have to treat it. I think it was um, Brian Cranston who said, no, Kevin Spacey, another tricky name these days, but that you're not really auditioning for this part. You're auditioning for the next part. Yeah. And you're there to form a relationship. Yeah. And uh, Bill always used to say, because on the last day of class, what's on everybody's mind is, okay, what's next? We're going to leave the nest. We've been here for two years. So, ah, right? Like, yeah. And um, he'd say, look, um, he told the story of a guy uh, who uh, was in a movie called The Lady Killers with yeah. Peter Sellers. Yeah. Right? And they remade that, didn't they? They might have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then... So he was this British actor, this British character actor, and then he didn't have another part till 20 years later. Wow. And so Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show was uh, interviewing him. This is the story Bill would tell every last class. And uh, Johnny Carson said, like, well, tell me, I mean, what's it like for you to have a job 20 years ago and then not act for 20 years? He said, well, Mr. Carson... You know, the very best job that I think exists in the world is to be a working actor. But the second best is to be a non-working actor. <laughs> right. um, so there's that. And there's the love of it. And just having fun. First of all, I think you should prepare well yeah. and then say, F*** it. You know, because you're not going to get the odds are you won't get the job. Yeah. If they're going to see 100 people, you have a 1% chance of getting a job. Even so, when you get the audition. Even, yeah. even if you get the audition. Yeah. So you might as well just not be attached to it. Right. Go in. Boomerang it. Have some fun. I was listening to a podcast recently where the, immediately after the audition, the guy rips up the sides yeah. and throws them out as a ritual to say, I'm done. Yeah. It's it's done. And then if they call, that's a bonus. Yeah. And just That's the vacation. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if you just keep doing that, and you just have to audition a lot, you have to... 
You have to find opportunities to meet people and put as many fishing poles in the water as possible. And eventually you'll get to know the casting directors in New York. And eventually someone's going to like your work and remember you for the next time. Yeah. That's what happened with uh, Sam and Moon, Sam Rockwell. He yeah. auditioned. It was directed by uh, Duncan, uh, David Bowie's son. I'm forgetting his last name. And Sam auditioned for him. He doesn't audition that much now, but it was an audition. Wow. And he didn't get the part. But Duncan Jones is his name because David Bowie, yeah. David Jones, um, remembered him and wrote Moon for him three years later. Wow. And sent it and said, hey, I wrote this for you. And it's One like, of my favorite films. An amazing yeah. film, right? And uh, so you never know when you cast your bread upon the waters yeah. when it's going to come back. Totally. So you just have to keep putting out good work. And auditioning is a mindset. Like a lot of actors freeze. You need to stay playful and loose and say, look, this is my version of what you got. You know, I didn't, this may not be what you're looking for, but yeah. here's what I got. And uh, I love moments. So let's rock and roll and have some fun. I'm not saying, you know, everyone will get to Sam Rockwell, but do you genuinely believe that if, if you keep putting in the work and you keep doing the work, something will come? If you keep doing good work. Good work. Right. This, you know, Meisner used to say it takes... Two years to train an actor, which is astounding because it takes a lot longer to learn the violin or, or ballet. Yeah. But it's because of all this human training that we're doing, yeah. you know, and observing people. And then 10 to 20 years to master it. It's like the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 yeah. hours thing. But that's use it or lose it. So yeah. if you're out of work, you've got to do something. Totally. Get together with friends, read a play every week, do something in a basement. Yeah. Find a way to keep doing the work. Do a student film. Because if you're waiting for something in your six months between jobs, you're going to get rusty. Totally. You want to do Kung Fu, you got to do it every day. Yeah. And where can people that are interested in, in taking a class with you or auditing or enrolling in your conservatory, where's a good place for them to, to go? Yeah. Thank you. Um, we, we're not big on auditing, um, okay. which also loses us students, but we're trying to create a very safe space for actors to yeah. explore stuff not and to so, have 20 strangers in a room yeah, yeah. just it changes things yeah. so uh, we do we interview students um we do this two-year program twice a year okay so we got one that just started in september and we're currently almost full for january but oh. we have a few spots left and they can go to my website yeah. <laughs> wait what is that website terry or that's a secret um, <laughs> uh, terry knickerbocker studio.com terry knickerbocker studio.com um, they can find us on instagram, instagram. allison is I'll the link it. curator of the instagram I account know. which oh, we wow. have a lot of fun yeah we do we have yeah. a lot of silly stories on amazing there too. i want to say that my studio has in addition to an amazing faculty i'm not the only person I mean, we teach movement and voice and we do consider ourselves to be an affordable alternative to an MFA program. So yeah. that two hundred fifty thousand dollar debt thing. Yeah. You know, like we think you, there's no evidence that I might be enrolling. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to go to Yale yeah. to be a good actor and it's a great school. Yeah. Um but we've also got an amazing community. Yeah. And um we're in an amazing place out in Industry City in Brooklyn. So uh everything we do we're aiming for excellence. We don't always get there, but we think that our staff has to be excellent. Our space has to be excellent. Our teachers have to be excellent. And everything we do, we're aiming to be... I'm really interested in doing the best we can do yeah. every day. Yeah. 
well, you just gained a new student here. I'm going to have to come interview for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Terry yeah. Nickerbocker, thank you so much for being here. And it means a lot to me. Oh. And thank you for sharing your story. And Allison, you know how much I love you. Thank you for your time. What do you love about Allison? <laughs> how can you not love her? She walks into a room, that energy, you know, she's just so warm. She's you know? warm. Yeah. Warm and sweet and yeah. funny and kooky. Yeah, you just root for her. <laughs> right. Oh, and I have There's that gonna on be tape a lot now. Thank cool you things guys. coming from her, too. But Terry Nickerbocker. I want to tell you a joke. Yes. <laughs> Two jokes. Okay. What do you call a cow without legs? Ground beef. Ground beef. What yeah. do you call a cow that's very tall? I don't know. High stakes. <laughs> <laughs> Parting words from Terry Nickerbottom. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. If you like the show, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.